Thank you, Dusty, for reading our scripture. It's good to see everyone here tonight. We're grateful for your presence. We appreciate so much your willingness to come back and to be a part of our worship service. We're going to be looking tonight at the passage that was read a moment ago, specifically Mark 6, verses 45 through 52. Mark 6, verses 45 through 52, as we talk about the Lord of the storm. We do appreciate those of you that are visiting. As always, we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity you have. We're grateful for the number of visitors that we have from week to week. And we know that a lot of our folks are on the road. Summertime is winding down, at least for those who have kids in school. And so we hope and pray that the next week or two that everything will go well and the kids will be back in school. Parents will have sanity again. And uh, I would suspect that there are a lot of folks, that a lot of parents anxious to get them back in school. I do want to make mention of one thing very quickly. This has been a, busy, a very busy summer, and our young folks have done a lot. Matter of fact, Jared and I were talking the other day about the number of weeks that he's been out of town or on the go. They've been to camp, they've done VBS, they've been in Georgia. They've literally been everywhere. And we appreciate so much all of those that have participated in the great things that have been going on this past summer. We're grateful for every person that's taken part and all the activities, and it has been a team effort. And I appreciate so much each and every person that has volunteered, that has spent time and money and effort to make this a very successful summer. Let's look at Mark chapter 6 tonight as we think about the Lord of the Storm. As we look at this particular text, I want to remind all of us that God is mindful of each and every person living here on planet earth. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. The Hebrew writer acknowledged in Hebrews chapter 4, neither is there any creature that is not made manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In a world in which there are about 7 billion people, inhabiting planet earth sometimes it's easy for us to feel like we get lost in a sea of people and there are times in life when we feel as if no one understands where we are in life it is us against the world and it may be the case that sometimes we feel as if God isn't mindful of our situation in life but I want to remind us tonight that God is still God. God is still on His throne. He sees all and He knows all. It was true in the first century. It's true today. The disciples, they came to a better understanding of Jesus, of His deity, His majesty, His great power. And they came to understand that He was exactly who He claimed to be. And they found out that he was indeed the Lord of the storm. So tonight, I want to begin by talking about the fact that Jesus sent his disciples out to sea. Now, in order for us to understand the context, it might be good for us to back up and just look at some of the preceding verses. First, we have the mission of on behalf of Jesus in verses 30 and 31. 
This has to do with the apostles and their work on behalf of Christ. You remember he had sent them out, Luke tells us in chapter 9, they had been instructed to go out and to preach the kingdom and to heal the sick. And so in verse 30, Mark tells us that the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And so they had done as they had been instructed. But note if you would, verse 31, Mark here speaks of their weariness in laboring for Christ. Jesus said, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest for a while. There are times in life when we become exhausted as a result of our labors. Wouldn't it be something if those of us who belong to the body of Christ could expend our time and our energy in laboring for the cause of Christ to the point where we too became exhausted on behalf of Christ. I think I told you this before, but I remember when I was in college, one of my professors who was a missionary in Japan for many years said in reflecting back on that work that when he came to the close of every day, he could look back over the day and think about all the events that had transpired. And the conclusion was, in his mind, I've done everything I could possibly do for the cause today. Be a great thing. And so, Mark tells us, verse 31, there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So their work and their weariness. And then note, if you would, the message of Jesus. In verse 32, the text tells us, they then departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitudes saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude, moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. And then the text tells us, he began to teach them many things. Wouldn't it have been something to have had the opportunity to have been among that multitude of people. To have heard Jesus teach, no doubt, many, many things. There were a lot of different things that Jesus taught during his, per, his personal ministry. I think about the words of the Apostle Peter in John chapter 6. When Jesus had identified himself as the bread of life, and Jesus upon seeing the multitudes retreat from him, asked the disciples, will you also go away? And Peter asked the question, Lord, to whom shall we go? And the reason was, he said, because you have the words of life eternal. Here were multitudes of people that had the opportunity to hear firsthand Jesus Christ, the Son of God, teaching them many, many things. And then Mark tells us about the great miracle that he performs Jesus took five fish and two barley loaves and fed some 5,000 men, a multitude of people. And we talk about the fact that the miracles that Jesus did authenticated his ministry. That is, authenticated who he claimed to be, the Son of God. Do you remember Jesus 
in John chapter 5 on one occasion, said, The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So he performs this great miracle. Now in verse 45 and following, we have the mandate by Jesus. Note, if you would, his will. Verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat. The footnote in the New King James Version says he strongly urged them. That was his will. That was his desire. That they get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he sent the multitude away. And then note, if you would, the withdrawal of Jesus. When he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. You ever done a study of how much time Jesus spent in prayer to God? There are numerous occasions where we find Jesus withdrawing or retreating from the multitudes of people for the purpose of praying to God the Father. Back in Mark chapter 1, the Bible tells us in about verse 35 that Jesus rose early one day, went out to a solitary place, and there prayed to God. In Luke chapter 6, before he selected the apostles, he spent the night in prayer to God with the cross looming before him. In John chapter 17, Jesus again bows his head and prays to God the Father for those who would believe on him through the apostles' word that we might be one. The Garden of Gethsemane, again, praying to God the Father about the impending cross. Over and over again, the Bible talks about Jesus praying to God the Father. If the Lord spent that much time in prayer to God and He was deity, what does that say to us? How much time we ought to spend in prayer to God? So, He sends them out to sea. There's a second thing I want you to see in our study. And that is, Jesus saw them, that is the disciples, on the sea. Pick up now with me, if you would, in verse 47. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing. Two things here. First, I think about their operation in the boat. Now, I've never spent a lot of time on the water, and so I really can't speak to what it would be like to row a boat facing the wind, but I have run in the wind. And if you like to jog or run, there have been times when I have gone out running, particularly in the wintertime. And when I step out the door, I know it's going to be a brutal day because the wind is howling. And so these guys, they're out here in the middle of the sea and they're rowing. And the wind is opposing them, isn't it? We think about their operation and their opposition. These guys are out here straining, straining, as we would say. You know, life sometimes is filled with a lot of strain. It takes a lot of effort to live every day. And sometimes to go through what we call the mundane things of life. I think about living the Christian life. And the fact that many times when you look at the world, the world seems as if it's heading downstream. And what are we doing? We're trying to climb upstream. 
And so we are in constant opposition. But Jesus saw them, didn't he? He saw them straining. He understood the strain they were under. But not only did he see them straining, he saw them stressing. Listen, if you would, to the continuation. About the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and cried out. And they all saw him, and listen to what the text says, and were troubled. Now they were troubled, but you have to understand, first of all, Jesus saw them straining on the sea, and he saw them stressing on the sea, didn't he? They're troubled. Now we ask the question, does Jesus see us when we're troubled? Does he know when we're troubled in life? The answer is yes. Do you remember in the book of Mark, when Jesus was in the home of Mary and Martha? And Martha is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and what's she doing? She's listening attentively to his word. She's trying to learn something. What's Martha doing? She's busy serving. And really somewhat indignant that Mary's not helping her. And Jesus said to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Is that not in some way a summation of the lives of a lot of people? Troubled about a lot of things. Anxious over any number of things in life. Now we talk about the fact that Jesus saw them on the sea. Does he not see us? Does he not know when we're troubled in life? The answer is yes. Does he know when we're tested? Again, the answer would be yes, wouldn't it? When you're tested on a daily basis, does the Lord know about that? When your faith is put to the test, does he know? I think about Simon Peter. In Luke 22, before Jesus went to the cross, Jesus said to Simon, 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 Satan has asked for you that he might sift you like wheat. In other words, he wants to put you through the mill. Did he do that? Yes, he did. When we're tested, when our faith is tested to its limits, does the Lord know that? Do you remember in James chapter 1 when James said, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith, think about that little phrase, the trying of your faith, the testing of your faith. God know when you're tested? Yes, He does. Go back to the book of Job. Do you remember when Satan appeared before the throne of God? And God asked him, Have you considered my servant Job? What did Satan do? He put that poor man through a lot of tests, didn't he? Assaulted his family. Assaulted, as we would say, his own health. Stripped him of his wealth turned his wife against him, and yet what did, what did Job do? Hung in there, didn't he? Did God know about 
the testing that Job was experiencing? Absolutely. So God knows. And then what about when we're faced with temptation in life? Is it not the case that when we're tempted and tried, the Lord knows that? The scriptures not tell us that in our temptation we can turn to Him. The Hebrew writer said, In that He Himself hath been tempted, He is able to aid those who are tempted. Hebrews chapter 2, in verses 17 and 18. So when we're facing temptation, it's not us against the world. It's not me out here battling it on my own, but I need to understand the Lord is there. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that there is always that way of escape, isn't there? The Lord has provided that way of escape. So, the Lord Jesus Christ, He sent these disciples out on the sea. And then, secondly, He saw them out on the sea. But there's a third thing I want you to see, and that is he supported or sustained them on the sea. Now pick up with me, if you would, in verse 50 again. If you look at the context, they see Jesus walking on the sea. And the Bible says they supposed it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them. Now I want you to think about the assuring words of Jesus on this occasion. Here's what he said. Of all the things that he could have said, here's what he did say. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. How does that relate to me? How is that applicable to my life and to your life? Is it applicable? The answer is yes, it is applicable. I want you to think for a minute about your deepest, darkest fears. What are they? Do you remember Job in Job chapter, in Job chapter 3? When he said, that which I feared the most has happened to me. Job obviously had some fears, didn't he? There were some things that he had floated in his mind, some possibilities of, of things that could have happened. Those things that had, in theory, the possibility of happening had happened. And so that's why he made that statement. So what about you? What are your deepest, darkest fears? Are you afraid of death? Are you afraid to die? Are you afraid to step out into eternity? If you are, I want you to listen to what Jesus said. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Why should we fear death? Jesus has the keys to the cemetery, doesn't he? Paul said to depart and be with Christ is far better. He said to live as Christ, to die as gain. We fear death because we've never experienced death. We've never faced the sting of death, but we know it's coming. And sometimes because of our frailties and because we've never been there, we're afraid. But the Lord would say, 
do not be afraid. Are you afraid of being disabled one day? Are you afraid of someday spending day in and day out in a wheelchair, in a bed, looking at the clock 24-7? I don't relish that thought, but I know it could happen. And there are people today that are disabled that at one point in time were just as healthy and robust and active as you and me. But not so today. Do you remember some years ago when Christopher Reeve was competing in an event? He was involved with horses. Superman, as we say. And he fell off that horse and broke his neck. I never will forget a family member of mine who was a nurse. She said he'll spend the rest of his life on a ventilator. Imagine living like that. Do you fear that? Here's what Jesus said, do not be afraid. Why? Because he's with you. Do you fear being destitute one day? This fellow I've talked to on a number of occasions. He's older in life, really doesn't have much family to speak of, financially doesn't have a lot. Matter of fact, as we would say, barely has two nickels to rub together. His concern ending up destitute one day. Do you fear that? You ever, thought, you ever thought about what it would be like to have to live on the streets? You ever thought about what it would be like to have to live in government housing? What does the Lord say? Do not be afraid. Why? Because he's there. Do you ever fear disease? You're afraid? Sometimes folks don't go to the doctor. You know why? Because they're afraid of what they might hear. And there are times when folks wait too late. That nagging, throbbing pain cancer. It happens. This week, how many people do you think will be diagnosed with cancer? You feel that? You afraid? You know what Jesus says? Do not be afraid. Why? Again, because he's with us. What about you ever get afraid of being depressed, discouraged? You may be here tonight, you're discouraged. You've been depressed for a long time. And you wonder, how are you going to pull yourself out of this? 
You've been bearing this thing for a long, long time. You've been battling it. You know what Jesus says? Do not be afraid. There are a lot of fears we have in this life. Let me tell you what. It's not easy living. Jesus saw the disciples when they were on the sea. He saw them. And just as he saw them in the midst of their troubles, their strains and their stress, he sees us. So, his words of assurance, a lot to be said for the power of words. And to think that the Lord here is assuring these disciples. Again, think, think about this. They're in the middle of the sea. It's turbulent. And they see him. They don't know who it is. And they're scared. And his response, do not be afraid. I want to give you an example of somebody that was afraid on one occasion. And I suspect he was afraid on more than one occasion on one occasion, and that was David. Remember David? Man after God's own heart. Read, if you would, sometime Psalm 56. The setting for Psalm 56, David and the Philistines. And here's what David said in about verse 3 of Psalm 56. Whenever I am afraid, he said, I will trust in you. What's he saying to us? He's saying, when you're afraid, those deep, dark fears. You need to trust God. Do you remember the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7? Casting all your care on Him. And the reason is because He cares for you. The practicality of the Word of God. The fact that God is there for us. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 57, David again. Here's what David said. This I know. God is for me. You and I, until the day that we die, we can say, just as David did in the long ago, this I know, God is for me. He's for His people. So, His assuring words and then His amazing work. Note, if you would, what is said in verse 51. Then He went up into the boat to them, and listen to what the text says, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves. Now note what Mark says. They were amazed in themselves beyond measure. We would say their minds were blown. Why? Because, just because of the events that had just occurred. Did Jesus have power over the winds and the sea? Yes or no? Yes. Jesus is not just the Lord of the storm. He is the Lord in the storm. I want you to think about this very quickly before we close. When we think about the amazing work of Jesus, first it's seen in His creative power. Who created the sea? The Lord did. Do you remember what you remember what Paul said in Colossians chapter 1? All things were made by Him, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or principalities or powers. All things were made by Him and for Him. John chapter 1, 
All things were made by him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. The Lord Jesus had the power to speak the world into existence, didn't he? His creative power on display. And then what about his sustaining power? Who is it in charge of keeping this world operating 24-7? The Bible tells us that the Lord upholds all things by the word of his power. Paul said he is before all things and in him all things consist. And the idea is that the Lord Jesus not only created the world, but he sustains the world. And then there's a third thing, and that is his redemptive work. He created the world, He sustains the world, and He has redeemed the world. By what? By His blood. And so, when you read this text, and you think about the amazing work of Jesus, it's all around us. The world, the human family, and, and then take into account what He did on the cross for us. You see, these guys had the opportunity to spend about three years with Jesus. They had the opportunity to see Him day in and day out, up close and personal. They ate with Him. They were with Him during some of His great messages. They were with Him during many of the great miracles He performed. And their response, Son of God. So what I want... What I, want us, what I want us to think about tonight as we close is this. The Lord Jesus Christ, just as He was with them, He's with us. And He will always be with us. Aren't you grateful to know that we have a God in heaven that genuinely cares about us as His creation? He sustained those guys on the sea. And sometimes the sea of life, as we say, can get very rocky. What you and I need to understand is, just as the Lord sustained them, He'll sustain us, won't He? He'll support us through thick and thin, come what may. We just have to trust Him, just as David trusted God many, many years ago. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for Your Word. And we're thankful for the encouragement that we receive in reading and studying the scriptures and looking at some of the events in the life of your son and the lessons that we can learn. We're grateful for Jesus, for all that he means to us and all that he does for us. And we're grateful to be a part of your family. And Father, we ask that you would bless each and every person here tonight those who are struggling and those who are facing difficulties in life. Bless them and be with them and comfort them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ believing that Jesus is the Son of God. The Bible tells us that if we will believe and if we are baptized into Christ, then we will enjoy salvation, Mark 16, 16. If we'll do what the Lord said, He'll add us to the church, Acts 2.47, and we'll enjoy all spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1.3.
If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to his cause, could I encourage you to come home? Come back to a loving God who will abundantly pardon. James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. Won't you come as we stand and sing?